If you brought a Bible today, I would love for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to get there in just a moment. And as you're turning, I want to call your attention to the Epidavros. I want to kick it back to Corinth. This was the theater. We're going to show a picture of it. It seated 14,000 people. Its acoustics were remarkable, and it's uh, impressively been so well preserved uh, through the years. 14,000 people would come. If you were living in Corinth at the time, uh, and you were to go to the Epidavros, you would go there for sport. You would maybe go there for theater, or you would go to hear a sophist or wise person lecture about beauty and truth and justice and the gods and the meaning of life. And then you would debate it later outside at the tailgate or in the marketplace. This was a place to go. But then increasingly, uh, out of nowhere, something new emerged in this polytheistic world at the time that didn't have quite the medicine that we have today, of course. But they, they began to go to this place for healing because nearby there was a uh, a sanctuary to the Greek god of healing, Asclepius. I want to show you a rendering of him in statue. And this is the Greek god Asclepius. And he was uh, among the pantheon of gods, of if, if we can put him up there with his chiseled self. He was among the pantheon of Greek gods, uh, along with Apollos and Epaphrodite and Zeus and some of the other more famous ones. But he began to really have a hold on people as they sought healing. Uh, the, they would bring a, check this out, they would bring a carved replica of the body part that was diseased or broken. The part that was injured that needed healing, they would bring a replica, a clay pottery type replica of the body part. And you can actually see them in a museum today, a Corinthian a museum, they have body parts. Uh, hands and feet and legs and such. If you were a skilled craftsman and you had an arthritic hand, if you were a wealthy merchant and you had an infected foot, if you were an athlete, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 back there, uh, and you had something hurting on you, you would go with a clay replica of the busted up broken body part and take it to the, this Greek God for the hopes of healing. It's almost as if one part of the body that's hurting affects the whole part of the body. It's almost like there's an interconnection that you have one body, but it's made up of many parts and all those parts affect the other part. Ever gotten sawdust in an eye? Ever had a grinding toothache? Ever had something hurt on you? In 2012 or 13, Laura McAlpin we, were, we had a very different small team. We were a church over in Dueling Hall, and we went to a staff conference in Dallas, Texas. And I think we were four or five on our team and five or six at the conference. And we went, at part of the conference, our flight was later, and we had time to waste. And so my idea, I said, hey, let's go to the AT&T Stadium. It was new, maybe brand new at the time where the Cowboys played. Let's go check out the stadium. Let's pay the 35 bucks a pop and do the tour and uh, see the locker room and stand, at the, stand on the field, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a point in that day when I looked at Lauren and another friend and I said, I mean, just on a whim, one of my many bad ideas. And I said, hey, first one to the end zone. And I mean, I'm talking, we were about the 40 or 50 yard, I think at midfield. And we were like, nobody stretched, nobody talked, nobody placed a bet. We just said first one there. And we just ran. And I was wearing skinny jeans at the time. And I got to maybe the 30 yard line and I pulled a hamstring. 
And I cried out in pain and fell down. Our other friend, uh, it was a quad on him, the opposite side quad. He fell down about the 15-yard line, and Laura won the race. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect clapping, but that's okay. So a clear winner there, which, you know, and I've done that same, I've made the same mistake in a similar fashion uh, at, at Mariner's Church. Remember that? Pulled up. Anyway, don't wear skinny jeans and stretch before you run at, after a certain age. I'm sure all the doctors are going, yeah. But listen, that one body part affected me. Now, it got my pride, right? Now we have to celebrate Laura being the better athlete on that day. But listen, it, it got my pride, but that one body part affected the rest of my trip. It affected my pride. It affected my ability to fly home. One part affects the whole. Let's kick it to a more modern analogy, maybe a more positive one. Take a look at this cool culinary treat that could be yours after church today. You walk by an ice cream store and you are drawn into the store by the aroma. And it's the aroma not really of the ice cream, it's the aroma of what? 930 got this right, it's the aroma of? The, yes, the waffle. The, they're making the waffles on the waffle iron for your waffle cone. And man, they know what they're doing. It's like Cinnabon at the airport. They know what they're doing. And you're drawn into the ice cream store. Before you know it, you're standing, next picture please, you're standing at an array of options. And you are drawn, the no, your nose got you in there, but now your eyes are feasting on all the options. And you see red and grape and cherry and orange and all these flavors. And you see green, the mint green. Like there's no other green in the universe that matches this mint green and it's dotted with a galaxy of chocolate chips all around it. And you hear a voice that calls out, a voice that seems like it's from Ohio and it says, would you like to sample? And you're cheap. You already know what you're gonna get, but you sample a little bit and then you make your decision and you hand up that debit card and then she or he hands you that waffle cone because that's what got you in there and hands you with whatever flavor you chose and you walk out the door and you think about it. that's when your taste buds take over that's the best part but that was a pretty full body experience your nose detected something and moved you there your feet walked in your eyes feasted on the colors your ear heard a voice your hand paid and received your feet again walked you out and then your taste buds there's a whole lot of them in there and your taste buds began to do what God intended it to do and it's joy for you but it was a full body experience could it be that one part of your body is connected to the whole with those as a backdrop look what Paul says in verse 27 of chapter 12 some of you got your Bible open I love it you're keeping me honest now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it let me stop for just a second today listen to me could be it could be a breakthrough for some of you Today could be a day where you hear this and you respond to it because what an invitation it is. And for many of you, it could be a day where you say, you know, preacher, this is old stuff. This is old stuff. And I would say back to you, is it old and dry? Is it old and dusty? Could something today be reawakened in you? Could something be reignited where you can say, I'm part of the body of Christ. And with it is an opportunity, with it is a responsibility, with it is a future that's vastly beyond what you can comprehend with the Spirit of God and one another's help. Now stop for just a second. You are the body of Christ, chapter 12. You've heard that. 
But remember chapter 11? Now, last week we heard from Swayze and Joel and Sonny. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that an incredible Father's Day? And I, I was blessed. I had a weekend off. I get to do that every so often. I was in the woods. I was in tears listening to these men uh, tell their stories. What a powerful day. But the week before that, the week before Swayze and the guys, and was 1 Corinthians 11. And we preached on uh, when Paul says to the church at Corinth what Jesus says. He's quoting Jesus, and he says, what we'll do at the end of the service today in just a little bit. We'll come to the table. We'll take the elements, the bread, his body broken for you, the cup, his blood shed for you. And Paul says, what Jesus said, this is my body. So chapter 11, are you with me? Chapter 11, this is the body, the elements, this is the body of Christ. But chapter 12, you are the body of Christ. You see, for many years, people could see Jesus. Remember the shepherds? They were told to follow that north star and go uh, to Bethlehem, and they could see baby Jesus, and they did, and they feasted their eyes on baby Jesus, this life, this baby that would change the world. Uh, Philip looked at a friend named Nathaniel and said, come and see a man. The man, this was a Jewish dude, he said, the man that Moses has talked about and the law and the prophets had written about, Joseph, the son of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, come and see. The disciples saw him. You can read from the best-selling book of all time and see these stirring accounts of Jesus' interactions with other people, which challenges us socially and culturally and economically. It challenges us our comfort and causes us to think afresh about our humanity and our, the role that we play in the world today. Jesus interacted and he was seen by people. When he rose from the dead, after his death and burial was the resurrection and he rose from the dead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll get there eventually, it says that he was seen by over 500 people. They saw him. Peter and John had breakfast with him on the beach. Uh, Thomas touched his side. The women were first to know, know that he had risen and to see him later. People saw Jesus. And those disciples would learn later that what he promised was true. That he would leave, but he would send his spirit, and his spirit would live in them. And listen, it would be their interactions with each other that would show the world Jesus. I know you've heard that. And you could be a, a non-Christian here today. And you've heard that. But I just want to let that sit for a second. We'll come to the table in just a little bit and say, this is the body of Christ. But I don't want to miss chapter 12. You and I together can be the body of Christ. And it is through our interactions and how we relate to one another that we can show the world love. I want to give you this sermon in three parts. I want to, I want to, sh I want to put this um, phrase up on the screen. I want it to be kind of the big takeaway today. And I want us to say it uh, together. One body, many parts, everybody matters, everybody is needed. Let's do it with some thunder, if we will. Uh, say it along with me. I'm not starting a cult here, so don't, some of you are proud, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But say it with me out loud with some volume. One body, many parts, everybody matters, everybody's needed. One more time, even louder. One body, many parts, everybody matters, everybody's needed. What if we believe that? What if you didn't, what if you weren't complacent and you didn't take away from this truth? You didn't divide, you didn't criticize, you weren't cynical, you, 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 won't, you won't stay home, you won't fold your arms, but you'll engage. You'll seek to be a part of this and living this out in the world today. One body, many parts, everybody matters and everybody's needed. 
and somebody needs an index finger under their chin. You need your chin lifted up this morning. You need someone, let it be me now, saying you do matter. You do matter. Your life matters. And no matter your sin and no matter your struggle. Listen, I had someone last week walk into my office. I knew he was coming. He walked into my office and he couldn't even make it to the couch. He fell on the floor. I stood over him and I said, I have been there before. And I helped him to the couch. His life matters and the Holy Spirit is getting him back in the game. And I don't know if you need to hear, maybe it was the 930 crowd, but listen to me today. One body, many parts, everybody matters and everybody is needed. Come on, I want to give this sermon in three words today, three different words or parts of the sermon. Here's the first one. It's the word variety. Come on. This is better than 31 flavors at Baskin Robbins. I mean, like conformity will suffocate you. Trying to be like everybody, be at the same stage of everybody, man, that, that's a straight jacket. I don't want any part of it. And yes, we have order and organization and we have leadership and one service starts at this time and another service starts at this time and we have staff and elders and deacons and all these things are important, but no one here is calling you to be like everybody else. We all have to share some common principles. We all have to show up and be present and engage with each other, but no one's asking you to be like anybody else. There's variety in our midst. And can I just say, aren't you glad? Look what Paul would say. Let's celebrate this today. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12. If you're weird, look, this is a green light for your weirdness. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Remember when Christ called the disciples? He didn't call 12 men who were just alike. He called political rivals. He called people that didn't vote like each other. And he goes, hey, Matthew, you room with this guy. One's, one's for Rome, one's for the Jews. Y'all room together. You're not, we're going we're gonna to live together. We're going to climb mountains and fish together and have campfire. And we're going to cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead and we're going to interact with each other. You're very different, but let me show you, there's something much more greater than your differences. Isn't it funny that we just walk out on each other over differences? I mean, maybe, maybe sometimes you, you should, we should. I'm not going to lie. I've unfollowed a few people lately, but um, we ought to celebrate this variety. Step back to verse four, five, and six. I love this. I love the you know, Paul, by the way, have you ever, have I ever preached this, taught this to you? Paul was probably not the greatest orator, public speaker, but what a brilliant mind and what a writer. I love this. I love this here. Uh, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God mm, that works all of them in each person. I love that we're different. We're very, very different. Now, I want to give you, I want to teach you this, and we're not going to delve deeply into spiritual gifts today because we're saving that a few weeks from now. We're going to even do a series called Practice Not Perfect where we talk about learning these principles, the things that the church at Corinth did to become apprentices of Jesus, and one of them is spiritual gifts. Can I just say this real quick? The church that Jesus started is not organized around bureaucracy or rules or human control or power. It's organized around the gifts that he gives. Humility and servanthood and joyful contribution. 
And I want to ask you, to what extent is your life revolved around that? To what extent is your participation in this church or a church, if you're a visitor today, in what ways is your life oriented around humility and spiritual gifts, humble giftedness and joyful contribution? That's the church that Jesus started, and it's impacted every continent and every culture uh, since that time. We need to think about our giftedness. The spiritual gifts are listed in four different places in the New Testament. Now, God gifted people in the Old Testament. When we talk more deeply about spiritual gifts and go through these, I'm going to give you examples in the Bible of what I, who I think had a certain gift. Um, even though we don't see spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, y'all know Nehemiah had the gift of leadership, right? You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the gift of faith and that fiery furnace. We're going to look throughout the Bible. Dorcas in Acts, a brilliant woman, she um, had the gift of helping and service to other people. And the church moved faster and further because of women, because of people like Dorcas. So we'll look at these, but this is a somewhat comprehensive list of the 18, 19 gifts that are listed in four different places, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and such. These are gifted, or listed rather. And here's what I want to say about variety, okay? This is really important because this, this greatly afflicted Corinth, and it, it afflicts us as well. Nobody, just nobody wants to admit it, but it's, it's in you, trust me, because it's, it's in me. Some of these gifts are wildly spectacular, and some of these gifts are way ordinary. Consider healing and miracles. I, I'll take that. A helping? Like, you know, I'd love to stick around and clean up after the middle schoolers, but I want to raise the dead. Right? Some of these are wildly spectacular, and some of these are way ordinary. But there's a diversity of gifts, and it really matters that we pursue these gifts and think about these gifts. I'm going to give you a couple of things, three things in a moment to help you in the gift, but I want to ask you this really important question. How do you choose your spiritual gift? How do you choose your spiritual gift? I want to answer that question for you. You don't. Now notice the emphasis, the, this emphasis. You don't. Which brings us to our second word. The first word was variety, and the second word is assignment. These gifts are assigned by God. Look what he says in the next verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15. Oh, oh yeah, let me, let me go back. Let me go back to the talking foot about variety, okay? Not assignment variety. Let me go back to this. Thank you, Bethany. The, let me go back to this. This brings us to the part, maybe my favorite part in chapter 12. It's the talking foot. Y'all know the talking foot? I love the talking foot because the talking foot it teaches us a, a valuable lesson. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Now, real quick, I almost forgot this. This is kind of a thing if you know a little bit about Eastern culture. The feet, the shoes were dirty and disgusting. Now, Susan's going to laugh at this. She wasn't at the first service. She was down the hall with the kids. But first service, I told you, remember when we early in our marriage, um, I had a rule wherever we lived that when people come see us, no one could wear their shoes in the house. Nobody, anybody ever do that? Like you, but you, you go to someone's house, you have to take your shoes off at the welcome mat. Anybody ever? There are different cultures around the world that do that. And I thought, yeah, shoes are dirty and I want to keep a clean house. She does too. Like take your shoes off. So we had this rule where we would take our shoes off. Our kids would take our shoes off. People that came over, take our shoes off. And then people just started getting mad at me and judging me. And it seemed impractical. And then she sat me down and had a talk with me. And so did a couple of people in the church. I felt like I was being confronted by sin. I said, all right, just wear your shoes. 
But anyway, I'm not happy about that. But shoes I get, maybe some of you do, are pretty kind of dirty and disgusting. And in our culture, y'all are like, what's he talking about? But uh, in, in Eastern culture, both then in Corinth and today, let me, let me um, illustrate this. Here's the Blue Mosque in Turkey. David and Amy Lancaster were at our 930 service. They're getting ready to go to Istanbul. I don't know if they're going to enter into this. But in uh, 1990, I went to the Blue Mosque. I was with several friends with Campus Crusade for Christ. We went into the Blue Mosque in Istanbul. And it was a whole different culture, a whole different religion, whole different day. I'd never experienced anything like it. It was a learning discovery type of mission for us and we were taking pictures and we violated several things and one of the things is we had on our shoes past this velvet rope and how did we know that we were wrong I think we I'm kind of a rule breaker at times so I've got that sin bound up in my heart so I had a little bit of that but then these Turkish men began to talk to us and they began to talk in a very loud voice and they began to yell at us and I couldn't understand a single word that they were saying, but I knew they were using profanity and they were really mad at us. And you know what they did? One of the guys took his shoes off and did like this. And then someone told me he was saying, shoe to you, shoe to you. And it was, uh, it added to his anger toward us. Um, here's a picture in the streets of Cairo in 2011. Some of you may, may remember President Mubarak. There was a sort of a coup d'etat, the nation, the Egyptians were protesting and they went into the streets. And there's two different pictures here I think will show different angles, same or different people. But they're, they, no, they're taking off their shoe and they're shaking them and they want people to know how angry they are. The feet, the foot, the shoe was lesser than. And so in that culture, when Paul is writing and he introduces us to the talking foot, he's saying, hey, some of us have an inferiority complex. Some of us are feeling really low about life. Some of us feel like others aren't for us. Some people feel like we're at the bottom. And so they picked up on the meaning that's lost to us in English and to American culture today. But Paul is writing and saying, there's a variety of gifts and all are needed. One body, many parts, everybody matters. Everybody is needed. And he writes to them and says, don't let this be you. So that variety. So secondly, the, the word assignment, and let's look at this verse uh, after it, verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. If you look at verse 11, you look at verse 18, and then you look later at verse 24, Paul's saying the same thing in different words. He's saying, you didn't do this. What would happen if you discover, if you uh, chose your gift, if it was just your gift? That's, by the way, what, what we call a natural talent. And some of us have natural talents, but that's different than a spiritual gift. Refine it, submit it, surrender it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and let the world be blessed by your natural talent. But that's different than a spiritual gift. I'm talented at Pac-Man. I can crush anybody in the room on Pac-Man. Ask her. I spent too much time uh, on that since the 80s. But human talent is kind of a cool thing. But oftentimes human ta natural talent is for your glory. Like when you're preaching and you brag about something you're good at. But a spiritual gift is for, listen, to this, it's for the common good. And it says that in one of the earlier verses. If you have an open Bible and you want to read back there, shout that out, verse out. We'll even allow some participation. But one of the verses early in 12th chapter says, this is for the common good. I'll draw the contrast. It's not for personal gain. It's not for individual glory. It's not to showboat and flaunt how awesome you are. The gifts that God gives you must be surrendered and understood that they are for the common good. In other words, you're given a gift that's going to help other people. It's going to lift other people up, not build yourself up. So with, with this assignment, it's easy. Let me say this. If you get involved in the church, if you have been involved, 
you know that you're going to be around some gifted people. You're going to bump in to some gifted people. Anybody feel that way at Fonder Church? Like, this is the way I've felt through the years. Any body of believers I've been involved with, I would say particularly at Fonder Church, I have been around people, and they just have, some people have this ease of conversation where they can just talk to anybody about any spiritual uh, subject, any subject, and bring it spiritually, bring it to Christ. They're not only having conversations, they're having conversions. Like, people come to Jesus when they talk. I've been around people like that. I don't have that gift. You ever been around someone, they're like a prayer, we call them a prayer warrior, but they pray and they just pour forth this speech. And it's not necessarily poetic, but it's biblical. They're recounting the word of God and they're praying it back and they're praying. It's almost like they think that God is hearing them. And if you hang around those people, I've noticed that uh, they'll tell you about answer prayers that they've experienced. That's a gift. You ever been to somebody's house and they open the door and it's peaceful and magnetic. It started with the curb appeal, but they open the door and it's not necessarily that it's a, a beautiful home or expensive or lavish home. But it's just put together and it says, you are welcome here and you're, you matter. Well, I talked to our staff about this. Neat and orderly says what we're doing important, is important. Clean and uncluttered says this matters and, and you're welcome here. And we want our building and our place to represent that peace and magneticism. Some people have that. Some of you have that at your home. That's called the gift of hospitality. I've been to some of your houses. It looks like a tornado and I don't feel welcome. You don't have that gift. That's okay. That's okay. But God assigns these gifts. Um, some people, they just speak. You're in, you're in a small group and, or with just a few friends, and they speak, and they seem to have the right word at the right time in the right moment, and somebody's built up. Someone's like, okay, I was going to, like, you know, take a long walk on a short pier, and now I'm going to, like, you know, uh, change the world. Someone spoke. That's a gift of encouragement. And God gives us gifts, and listen, don't waste your life wanting a gift that God didn't give you, and don't Don't wait on opportunities that aren't going to come your way. And this is my vision. This is my imagination of our gracious creator. He's looking at this body of believers and every gathered body of believers. He's going, okay, he assigns the gifts. All right, ear, hand, foot, large intestine, nose, right? And God assigns these gifts. Paul said it three times. Three times in what, 31 verses? If you say something three times in a short span, you're pointing to put some emphasis on it. Verse 11, verse 18, verse 24. He's saying God does this. God gives us, and I just love it that, listen, I see this. God gives our body wise counselors and impactful teachers and people with mercy to help other people and hospitality people to make sure that everybody is welcome here. Just people with the gift of discernment. You ever been around someone with the gift of discernment? Man, they're tuned into a radio station. The rest of us can't even look up. And they, they, they sense something, and it is a beautiful thing to experience. And I'm so glad that God assigns these gifts. So if you don't choose the gift, God assigns the gift. So the question is, how do you discover your gift? I, I want to help you. I mean, we're not going deep into spiritual gifts today, but let me give you the first thing. It's jump in. Jump in. Monica, is this your last Sunday at Fondren Church? Come here. Are y'all picking me up on this microphone? Monica, um, this is your last Sunday. You're moving to Naples, Florida. We gonna miss her? We gonna miss her? All right, so everybody that answered has been blessed by you because you've served with your gifts. You are great with child. When's that baby coming? August. She's gonna move with her doctor husband to Naples, Florida. But let me tell you, um, this woman has served our church. And the moment she got here, 
she served humbly and she's given joyful contribution to our church and she's going to uh, am i right you're going to cry when you leave <laughs> best pastor best pastor you've ever had mm-hmm. no you know why that's not true her dad's a preacher her dad's a preacher so that's her favorite pastor ever but we're going to miss you monica because you've served and you've jumped in so just you probably don't have the words i'm not going to give you a hot microphone but look at these people and don't you want to tell them to jump in that life is better when you jump in say something real quick you won't regret it you just won't regret it it's going to change you and it's going to change others love you thank you monica jump in. Don't wait. Jump in. Sign up, serve, and show up. And put yourself there, body, mind, and spirit. Second thing is to listen. And some of us don't do this well. Here's the point. I want it to be simple. I want, my words won't be many. Listen. Listen to what other people say, because if you have a gift, it will be affirmed by others. It will be affirmed by others. Now, the opposite is true. You may sign up for something and do something. You may teach or lead something or try to organize something. Or, and some of you don't have the gift of organization. And some of you don't have the mercy gift. Some of you don't. We don't want you greeting at the door because you're not very kind or nice. You don't have that gift. But listen, you need people to tell you what you have and what you don't have. Now, don't be like, now listen, there, Nehemiah's on the wall and Sanballat's like, hey, come down. He tried to distract him. Nehemiah's like, I'm not coming down until the work is finished. So there's a leadership principle that says don't let anybody wrongly dissuade you. All right, so don't miss what I'm saying. But if you've got a gift, people are going to say, hey, thank you for that. Man, you brought something. You know the results are going to be not your glory, your ego buildup, and it's going to be the church was blessed. Here, people helped. They served. Um, I text a few people. A neighbor had a tree down in their yard two weeks ago. I text a few people uh, in our church, and, man, I knew they would come through. Within 30 minutes, they had two chainsaws at this location and uh, working and serve. They, they have the gift of help. They have the gift of serving. They want to do that. That's a gift and they know that it blesses other people. So jump in and then listen for feedback. Don't be like a, you know, don't be over, overly needy. <laughs> like you're waiting on somebody, but just serve and then just watch. When you serve in an area and it, it's aligned with your gifts, people are going to notice and they're going to thank you. It may not be a public thing because with public ministry comes a lot of criticism, but you may not want that. But Hear me now, whatever your gift may be, listen to what other people, because if you have this gift, people are going to affirm it in you. God speaks through other people. I've seen it. I've seen it on both sides. I've heard people say, hey, RG. Mm." Uh, And then the last thing I would say, cultivate. Simply put, get good at it. If it's radical generosity, if it's being a wise counselor, if it's help, if it's service, if it's prophecy, if it's speaking truth, if it's offering encouragement, whatever the gift of the list of 18 to 19 in the New Testament, whatever it is, cultivate that gift and get good at it um you'll bless people and monica is right and then if you move you'll cry and be sad because you bless people and you were blessed by people so the last word we got to close and lauren and the team y'all come up is the word interdependence look at verse 21 of chapter 12 it says this the eye cannot say to the hand i don't need you or again the head can't say to the feet i don't need you you know how we talked about the foot the talking foot saying that, uh, you know, that, that basically demonstrates an inferiority complex. Well, this demonstrates a superiority complex. And in Corinth, this stuff was running amok. It was a culture of pride. It was a, a culture of self-promotion. And Paul is writing saying, hey, every, uh, nobody is everything. Let's put it that way. Nobody is everything. 
So if you have a gift, sometimes what do we do? Psychologists call it the halo effect. We find someone that has a very uh, visible or public gift. And we go, oh, this person is a rock star, superstar, Christian, perfect person. And they're not. They have feet of clay and they need other people. And Paul is saying that don't, be, don't, be, don't live with an inferiority complex, but don't live with a superiority complex. We need one another uh, in the body of Christ. This last phrase I want to pull out uh, is verse 22. It's just part of verse 22. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Very quickly, I have a friend uh, out of state who they have a, four children and one of them is uh, severely uh, developmentally disabled. Third in the birth order, the younger child is walking and crawling and talking before this child. Speech therapy, physical therapy. But through the years, even more recently, I've heard these friends say to us in one in a, in a speaking environment, they've said uh, the following two phrases that just floor me. They've said that it's a burden, but she's not a burden. And they've said, without her, we're not us. And what a beautiful dimension that this family has and that we need in the body of Christ Paul in the spirit of Jesus is saying that to us today. The weakest among us, the man who walks in and falls on the floor that's desperate for mercy and help is matters to this church and matters to the circle. I hope you're in a circle or you lead a circle and you're looking for the weak among us at that time because the weak are not always going to be weak and being weak in Jesus means a lot of strength. Stand with me and let me pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Use it for your glory. Use this message and help us be one body, many parts, where everybody matters and everybody is needed. Let's say it again out loud, church, one more time. One body, many parts, everybody matters, and everybody's needed. Now let's say out loud the 19 spiritual gifts that we saw. I'll ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to do a lot in just the last few minutes. But our ushers would come forward, and they are, as soon as they get to their place, they're going to pass Uh, the offering plate. We're going to take up offering as I talk for just a minute. It is a great time to become a giver at our church. Uh, Your gifts are needed. I believe that you need to give. While giving is a spiritual gift for some, uh, all of us are called to be givers. And what an incredible time. We've got an opportunity up on the third floor uh, to impact the next generation. We've already started doing demo through some of your generous gifts. Can I just say, man, we've been moved and floored by some of the gifts that have come our way. But we're probably at a point in the life of our church where we need some people who've never given to give. Where, where you, maybe you've given sporadically. Perhaps this could be the time where you could give systematically. Or maybe you've been a generous and systematic giver. This could be the time for you to give something sacrificial. And we've got an opportunity to hold on to, or grab a hold of something to help and bless and serve young families, to give the best children's ministry in town, honestly. And uh, we need that third floor. We need this space. And what a, what a great opportunity. So I just want to present that challenge to you as we talk about being members of one another and being a body of Christ, impacting the, our neighbors and uh, the nations. Okay, as the offering plate is uh, being passed through the rows, I want to ask our leaders to take their place at the elements today. We're going to close our service uh, by taking communion today. And this is a call for everybody who's a follower of Jesus, every Christian uh, in the room is called to do this in remembrance of the Lord. And so follow the person in front of you. You'll be given two cups. One will have bread in it and one will have juice. And the cup with the bread represents the body of Christ. 
and the, the juice represents the blood of Christ. They'll probably say that over you as you take it. Take it back to your seat. Uh, we're watching the clock. We'll get you out in just a few minutes. But let's let this moment of worship not be so rushed that it can be meaningful. So take the cup back to your seat and think about it. Here's what I would love for you to do. Look at those elements and say, this is the body of Christ. And then take them at your seat. But then also think about what you heard today. We are the body of Christ. And in our interactions with humility and service and joyful contribution, let's see what Jesus can do through us.